Episode 24. I'm Eric Berger, joined again by Ryan Sinitsky. Hello, sir. Hello there. I'm actually saying hello this time because I've gotten over the fact that we're actually watching Le Mans. Yeah, for anyone that just listened to 23, we're still right here. This yes. is 24. That's kind of typically how it in, works week to in week. In fact, we still have Randy on for our first time yeah, having a, a two-episode guest because we'll be more we want to talk about. So. Yeah, Hi. but we were also courteous of people's schedules and not yes. wanting to listen to a two-hour podcast. Yeah, so. and so I wanted, to, I wanted to be able to get in some other stuff. We had a busy episode last time and uh there's more that i want to talk about with randy but before we get into that let's talk about beer um yes i'm not drinking what burger's drinking because i don't like that beer all that much uh, i don't want to complain about it cause it's an all right beer i'm drinking a line of google summer shandy which i i don't seek this out it's in the fridge it's, it's fine. fine it's, it's better on a hundred degree day i have a um excelsior brewing bitterschlap uh brown ale we re- reviewed this a while back but we had a few left in the fridge Nice. Uh, Burger, crank up that mic so I can open this bad boy. Okay. Ooh. Ooh, that's nice. I would open mine, but it has been open for some time. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, this one's good. Ah, delicious. Anyway, um, before we get into the rest of our podcast, Randy, I wanted to talk to you about LGBT car culture. It's Pride Week, um, so I wanted to, you know, the whole point of us doing our pride way thing is I want to talk about how there is a LGBT car culture and really they're normal people. Like they certainly are. They're, like they're, they're, well, no, I mean like there, there's a, a lot of car people like don't talk to people from the LGBT community that much. And they have a stereotype in their head. Hmm. LGBT car people with the exception of two I've ever met in my life. Yeah. Like you don't know. That they're that they just happen to be yeah part of the LGBT community. Most which of is the great. LGBT people I know are car people. Yeah, and they're they're yeah. It's whatever stereotype you have in your head uh, does not exist. I mean, well, it does, but I mean, like it that is a, such a small portion of the community that it really shouldn't even bear mentioning. Are you sure? Because my stereotype of LGBT people is that they are into vehicles. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, well, I'm, you know, what I'm talking about yeah, like the, I do, but I'm big yeah, too. Yeah. So. Like they're they're not like um oh god what what was the guy from Wayne's World to um, rip something or other, the guy mm-hmm. the guy's always throwing all the oh yeah that guy. yeah 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 the confetti guy <laughs> the confetti guy yeah Shoot, I forgot his um, name no like when I think of them I'm that when I think of like LGBT car people I think well Randy <laughs> hi Randy so hi. anyway welcome back Thank um you. so y- you wrote for Lavender mm-hmm. um it kind of, what's your view. On the LGBT oh. car culture. I hope we have plenty of time. We, we do. Uh, we do. Well, we first, went easy on this episode. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, first <laughs> and foremost, uh, I want to let everybody know that um, I had a little surprise at the end of the last year. Was I was going to do a story on the local uh, Lambda Car Club International region that's based here in the Twin Cities. What, what's, what is that? Wait, uh, wait. Is that the Traverse in the giant three rows from GM? No. The Lambda? The Lambda is not that chassis? No. Well, that, that's a chassis, but this car club is different. Oh, unrelated. This is a car club. Okay, all yes. right. All right sorry. No. I was just making sure you weren't going to try to talk about three-row crossovers on our podcast. 
Uh, I refuse to. Can't anyway, um, but now we mention it. Traverse. Um, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> you go to hell and you die. <laughs> Atlas. Okay, there you go. Um, no, Lambda Car Club International Basket. is a uh, was an organization that was created. I don't remember how long ago, but uh, it was one of the first clubs I I saw that catered to LGBT people, and it's a nation. It's a national organization. Um, there was a region that got reconstituted recently, and there was a region before. Regions are pretty much like local chapters of X national yeah. company uh, organization. So the region out of the Twin Cities was reconstituted from members that broke away. And all I was going to do a story on them, which I did. Uh, it turned out I became a board member. And uh, <laughs> Funny how that works. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, here, here's somebody who could write. You be our communication social media guy. You also know social media. Oh, crap. I was duped into being the BMW North Star editor. I know you would. Three and a half years later, still here. There you yeah. are. <laughs> but so that's what happened to me. And then, I mean, these guys are about my age and older. And I want to establish I am almost in my mid-50s. And uh, so, and the stereotype. Now, we talk about stereotypes. Stereotypes of an LCCI member mm -hmm. is one that owns, like, a car that was post-war. Thank, thank God, really. At least mid-luxury American. So, but as I saw photos from last month's uh, Grand International, Grand Invitational in Nashville, there was a diversity. There was a couple of JDMs, by the way. Oh, cool. There right. was, like, a guy in Oshkosh that has an 80s laurel. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. He so, likes the laurel. I love the laurel. Yes, yes I do. Yes, he does. That is a great car to me. And we had a guy that brought in a B210 Honeybee. and That's really cool, actually. A Honeybee? Really? Honeybee. Yeah. Because that, that's actually a really rare trim level. Exactly. But most of the people I've seen have had, like, say, a 58 Imperial or a 65 Oldsmobile 98 or like a 78 Thunderbird. Do you think that's just that. that's just what they were personally into? That's more of a it's more of a representation of them as a person than LGBT car uh, culture because that's really what it is. It's, exactly. Yeah, and that's, it's, and that's it's, where it, we're they're people. To. They're and people. That's, <laughs> that's what they're leading to is that the fact is is that I know it's shocking, a, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, but that's stereotype. No, this isn't Rush Limbaugh radio. I get that. <laughs> but it's is. This is more the stereotype that, that everyone thinks when we talk about LGBT um, enthusiasts. And there's a lot more than that. Because you, for me, my job is peeling the onion back. And there's more onion. You work for the onion? No. Oh, oh and I <laughs> wish. They pay pretty good. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good company. Um, good to know. Yeah. Um, the it's like you peel the onion and you feel more and then i ran into other groups of enthusiasts and people who gravitate to me and uh yeah. for my writing and saw that i was writing mostly consumer reviews consumer oriented one might call them consumer reports he doesn't write for them anyway <laughs> yes randy <laughs> how badly do you want to strangle me right now Quite none. Oh, okay. I won't. I, won't. I never strangle the host, folks. When you're doing a show like this, All right. never strangle the host. Okay, so um, I could bring Modi here. Anyway, he could probably take you. So yeah, probably. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, so carry on, please. So, but, so I've met people who are LGBT that do motorsport stuff. LGBT who does modified cars, classic cars, 
modern um, cars or those who go to certain groups on social media and say, look, I got a focus sedan and I'm cool. It's everybody. I mean, yeah, it's a it's, very diverse it, group. It, it, Did they mod it with Plasti Dip, though? Oh, God. Uh, that's next. Okay. Um, <laughs> and here I am, you know, being a journalist and bringing in cars uh, of all stripes and having, you know, it's like, and finding out what the behaviors are. Because I've noticed that... Uh, but and, and, because Behaviors of people or cars? Behaviors of people. Okay. Because when you, you will find out uh, the differences between those that are... Um, can't th- I'm trying to think of a very clean word to you. This is an explicit podcast. So you can I'm aware it's want. an explicit okay, podcast, but I don't want to throw shade and he, all that he shit. wants he wants to be politically correct. Oh no, no, I'm not trying to be. You politically. don't want to stoop to their level. Nope i, I don't want to I don't want to bring this down and everybody gets pissed off and I call and I call bullshit bullshit. But oh, okay. uh, right. but you know there's if a you lot... need us to do that we can we can do that for you. Yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you, Eric. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> But yeah, there's a, like I said, there's a wide diversity of people who love diverse uh, groups of cars, and mm-hmm. I'm just grateful to see that, and, and I'm also grateful for them to see me as a um, resource in the car community as well as in the media. Um, and that makes it really, make, makes this job really wonderful because, uh, you know, I'll bring in cars. They may be interested in the car. They might ask a bunch of questions. It's good to in- engage with that. And... Again, this is not an L- strictly LGBT invitation. This right. is for everybody. So if you see me drive, say, like, it, what was it, a month ago, I had the Alfa Romeo uh, Julia Quadrifoglio. Boy, did they come out of the woodwork on that one. No way. Yeah, no way. It's such yeah. a common vehicle. I see them all the time. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> now, there's another aspect I definitely want to bring up, okay. and that is, and this is the one, one, of, the thru, one of the through lines I've, work with through Lavender and other uh, publications is the fact that on we know the consumer side. We know yeah. the community side. Mm-hmm. But what we... There's always this thing... That one, of, one of the things that one of my colleagues told me is that you realize that most of the uh, media... Most of your media colleagues are either Jewish or gay. That's true. <laughs> this is true. Is and, there causation there? Yeah, and I'm thinking... There's both. Uh, I'm both. Hey. Well, um, yeah, he's both. I'm Jewish. Ryan and, is one of those two yeah. things. <laughs> but I'm, I'm talking about automotive media, as, oh. as you know, as Ryan is also a member of. Yeah. So he's also a member of uh, Judaism. Well, kind of, sort of. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just calling you a Jew. It's fine. Yes, I'm a Jew. Okay, cool. <laughs> and now the anti-Semitism is done. Uh, <laughs> it's not anti-Semitism. It's good. It's just. It's just. Ryan's Semitism. Jewish qualities are my favoritest qualities of him. It's just. It's just Semitism. That's it. Yeah. There we go. Okay, <laughs> so like we'll a, drop the anti is it like semi, semi-pride or I something? Could, luckily, we're not doing homophobia, but anywho. Goodness, um, no. That is goodness, not what we no. do. So, so what I'm grateful for is that seeing a lot of my colleagues and... Uh, who keep their sh- vehicles in excellent condition, by the way. Who? Yes, we Every do. Every gay man I've ever worked on the car for, the car has been in like noticeably better condition than that any other vehicle I work true. on. This is extremely true. It is true. incredible. Though I know a few that... 
and uh, least to be desired. But but I want to talk about the uh, now I'm calling out. <laughs> That's to what we them. call it aggression. <laughs> yes, it's fine. <laughs> uh, but Here's but it. but I was getting into the media stuff, so it's good to know that when I work in a in an industry that I have a lot of colleagues in the same who who are from the same tribe or same tribes. Uh, uh, that help that helps me do my job a little bit better. Also, do they have reservations with casinos and stuff? So anyway, um, <laughs> actually, I, I do want to talk about somebody in particular from the LGBT community who I think is actually really interesting. Um, this guy, his name is Brian Thompson. He, um, I guess I don't know him. He's a, he's a designer. He used to work for Nissan. Um, worked under Jerry Hirschberg, who's he designed a lot of Nissan uh, products and. Okay. The, Late 80s, early 90s. The Sentras that we all like, the B13s and the B12s. Uh, the Did Nissan... he design the Stanza Wagon by chance? No, he didn't. Oh. That was... Uh, yeah, that, that, that was... Um, Giorgio Giorgio. Giorgio. Um, mm. No. Uh, it shows. No, uh, Jerry Hirschberg. Yeah, I think the one you'd probably know most is the Nissan, the Nissan Pulsar NX in 13. Yep. Yeah, so he designed that. Nice. And he's actually the guy that's responsible for making it have the canopy that would turn to a wagon. Really cool guy. But anyway, Brian, um, he worked under him a lot. Brian, the one you would know most that he designed would be the NV1500, the Titan delivery panel truck thing, which is yeah, awesome. Yeah, the body That's and frame van, yeah. Honestly, probably one of my favorite Nissans right now. I love the um, video of the guy, like, drifting one of those things. Yeah, they're it's great really trucks. Cool. They're was really cool. Was it Randy cool. Popes or was it somebody else? I think it was that? Randy Popes. But so, um, he Not also... Not of Andy Stern. Um... Brian also designed I either the Citroen C1 or C2 while he's with Nissan. Uh, probably C2. I think I think it was the C2. I think C2. the C1's a Toyota. I, I think it's, I think it's a C2 then. Um, but no, he's actually a really interesting guy because uh, he's got you know he, he he does other designing stuff too. He doesn't just do cars. He does like jets and trucks and trailers and stuff. Wow. Uh, yeah, like he's like all over the place. You're designing. telling me he's very versatile. Yeah, he's very versatile. So the guy's got the guy's got some money, right? So with his money, what he has chosen to do with his life is what I would do if I had unlimited money. And oh, that, God. that is take weird cars from the 1980s and do flawless rotisserie restorations. So he's got a uh, Tercel SR5 four-wheel drive wagon. Oh, those are so cool. <laughs> yeah. He's got, uh, this is his Nissan Sentra. He's got a... Uh, wow, that thing looks so mint. He's got a, yeah, dude, it's a rotisserie restoration oh. in 12 Sentra. Um, Damn. He's got... Whoever I, does that is very unhealthy. Oh, the, dude, I love Brian because he just does the things <laughs> I would totally do if I had the money for it. Um, he's That's got great. the best first-generation camera you've ever seen in your life. It's actually nicer than the one that Toyota has. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's got a first-generation uh, Wagavan. Uh, all sorts of just ridiculous cars. And if you're wondering what Does he, he looks... Does he have a wagon? I think he either he did should if he or doesn't. he's looking for one. Okay. But this is what he looks like. He is okay. a giant... Burly chested bodybuilder with a huge mustache. I was going to say he has a shorts. mustache. Yeah, and like, well, here. Oh, Randy wants to look at the phone oh, to yeah, investigate his, uh, yeah, his apparel. That, I think there, that, that's how that, this side dresses normally. Uh, I am showing Randy a picture of him wearing tiny shorts. This is what my face looks full of. I don't know. That's all right. The camera's just off of where yeah, Randy will thank, be fapping. It's okay. Thank, it, it, thank God it's not something I like <laughs> have to regularly deal and with. And my but. partner will kill me. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. But, this just is it's off frame. There's nothing happening. That's okay. No, Jason uh, will be listening. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I ran into Brian because I was actually um, writing an article about 
the Nissan Pulsar for Japanese nostalgia car for one okay. of those weird like entry level classic cars that yeah. people should really pay more attention to. Um, called Consider the Following. Uh, weird. I feel like we're talking yeah. about this. And he's like, "Oh, dude, here." He's like super helpful. Give me a ton of information. Anyway, in talking to him, like the guy's actually really interesting. Mm-hmm. So. But it's one of those things where it's like, Dude, uh, of course he is. He did a rotisserie resto on an old <laughs> pulsar. <laughs> like, guy's awesome. like he's not a normal fella. No, he's right? not a normal guy no. at all. Uh, but no. it's it's one of those things like normal people. He's piss me he's off, de- so he's fine. definitely like he's more like what you would imagine as you know an LGBT uh, car enthusiast. Okay. But at the end of the day, he's also probably one of the five most interesting people in the car community I've ever talked to. So. Well, I'll tell you, where we're riding off on that is uh, the other thing I've uh, been doing, I've uh, been covering for all the years I've been involved with uh, media, and that's going back all the way to 2001 with a small website out of Chicago, um, is the fact that I've been also grateful to be uh, introduced to a lot of people on the industry side, uh, not just uh, you know dealership people, but also we're talking about people at the industry. You know, right? Like actual OEMs. Right, actual OEMs. Like, for example, I'm going to call out somebody, um, a Cadillac engineer, a Cadillac designer, actually. His name is Sabian Blake. Mm -hmm. Uh, He does a lot of work with the arts and and, uh, science design inside. Um, I think he does more interior and exterior. Really interesting, very sweet fella, really knows his shit. And uh, very, very grateful to met him and other people across the industry. And they're all over the place. They're even on the floor of the uh, of assembly plants. I have met I've, um, three years ago. I was in Detroit for. Uh, I'm seeing a pattern here. Yeah. <laughs> he goes to Detroit a lot. <laughs> not a, not more than not. I would like to go to. A, well, actually, it's now. Yeah. I would not want to go to Detroit ever. <laughs> well, it's for work. Um, that's all I got to tell you. It's for work. So oh. three years ago, Fiat Chrysler brought Fliat. me out. Fiat. Fiat. Fiat Chrysler. Let me roll Chrysler. that back here. I've got, I've got a couple of Fiat's, man. <laughs> so, anyway. Fiat, so Fiat Chrysler flew me out for what we call a corporate uh, or corporate responsibility trip, uh, seeing what they're doing with the LGBT community through their um, employee resource group. Mm-hmm. Now, a employee resource group is that, a co- uh, you know, in every company you have uh, some a specific culture. They have a, re- I mean, it's a group of employees of that specific culture. So they're called employee resource groups. They tie in back with human resources and, and try to create more of a diverse uh, policy. Community, yeah. Policy, yeah. Well, yeah. community and also uh, HR policy yeah. as well. So I was grateful to have met the people from Fiat Chrysler's uh, Gala, which is their ERG over there. And I also had a chance to meet with uh, GM's uh, group as well as Ford's Globe, which actually is Ford tied in with UAW. So at three years ago, I was at Motor City UAW Pride. UAW is United Auto Workers, a big Thank auto you. worker union. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Um, so, but with those groups and meeting the people and the personnel and, uh, of the Ford group, I met more on the floor factory people. They were working at the Louisville tr- uh, truck plant. Yeah. So, and they were marching in Detroit with some of the UAW reps and some of the Ford. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. So you get to meet those people. And with Fiat Chrysler, the head of it at the time, Gregory, uh, was a uh, designer for Mopar, which is the aftermarket for, division for, for Fiat Chrysler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So meeting those people and meeting other people who do PR, 
you know, which is usually the first people I interface with at the corporate level, yep. is it tells me that my work could be relatively easy to do when you're connecting with these people. In all honesty, it's just as hard as being just a regular media person connecting with a regular PR person, but understanding the motivation of reaching out to LGBT, which is they want our money. No way. Yeah. Shocking. A company? It, yeah. They want that sells goods and services wants money. Exactly. And, and, and the bottom line is that they're willing to do whatever to cater to our taste, oh to cater to our... Uh, you know, our consumer uh, wants and needs. That's what it comes down to. It's, it sure. comes down to uh, simple commerce. You know, and I'm, I'm totally down. I'm totally down with, you know, catering to different communities. It's not just pandering to them. Exactly. Because it, so often you see a company that just like panders to a community. And it's just like they'll have like the big pickup truck and they'll be playing like uh, the village people with a big flag in the rear. It's just like, okay, cool. What do you actually need to do for the, that community though? Right. And that, that's actually, yeah, that, 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 it's cool that they're actually like catering to it versus pandering. Catering is actually a big, that, that's a big deal. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, I, and I will respect any company and I love working with those companies, whether they're OEMs, suppliers, dealerships, um, even media companies that cater. Well, even, uh, and that's important. Um, Cummins, they, they, they yes. got, they've got a plant in town here in, in Minnesota and uh, they, they they cater to the LGBT community as well, which is really cool. Cummins mm -hmm. is a big one that supports us. And matter of fact, that's yeah, and it's yeah. it's really ironic because that's like the token like engine of like bros, bros, and yeah, intolerant, folks. intolerant white supremacists. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, you don't see a lot of uh, outspoken people. You don't <laughs> see a lot of like. Subaru Forester owners driving Cummins Rams as their second vehicle. Actually, Subaru was the first brand that really kind of cater rather than pander to the LGBT. They were and look the where I got them. One. Yeah, well, well, yeah, because like back in the nineties, didn't they have the, they had the ad campaigns? Where yes. They'd, they'd have like Martina. Have, yeah, Martina yeah. They would the they'd have like little subtle cues to LG like in the license plates of the cars that they chose. Nice. Like they're, they're, it was kind of cool that they did that. It wasn't like the Top Gear. Subtle hints on the license plate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. in Argentina. No, they they were they were subtle. It was kind of the same style, but it was it was kind of, it was kind of cool that they did that. Uh, and that was like way back in the '90s before it was cool to do that. So that that's kind of another reason why I think Subaru is really cool to do that. Um, but anyway, I, can't I think for that. from Subaru, let's uh let's move on to uh, Toyota. Let's um, indeed. Uh, you know the uh, one of my favorite Toyota engines ever. Yeah. Uh, was it a Yamaha-designed engine? Yeah, a Yamaha cylinder. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the 2ZZGE. Oh. No, that's a full Yamaha. That's full Yamaha? Yeah. Yeah, because I drove a uh, Matrix XRS. The hard points are like lightly based on the 1ZZ, which is a Toyota engine. Yeah. But yeah, but they no, just the, um, ground up built it. I drove a Matrix XRS yes. the other day at um Lower at red work. line, but still a very good representation of the, the You still have engine. a hilarious amount of power. Oh, yeah, the thing it's still 7800 RPM. The 2ZZ, it drives like a 1ZZ, which yep. like the red line's like 6 or something. 6750. Yeah. And you're like, this is plenty. And then you look at your tachometer, and you're like four-fifths of the way up. You're yeah. like, whoa, what is like, this? Oh, I you're looking down to see if you should shift. RPMs. No. Not so. Mm -mm. No, yeah, the 2ZZ is great. Uh, they rev to, I think, 8500 in the Celica. Yeah, and the, the great, Lotus, great and other than the oil pump gear is being slightly deficient from the OE, whatever you can fix that pretty yeah, easily. Yeah, jeez, that's um, yeah. I want to talk about this. I actually, 
I'm not going to take credit for this. Our our patron, Nick, mm. who we were talking about in the last episode, he sent yes. me last night a link to an Amazon warehouse deal rebuilt 2ZZGE long block for $1,000 primed. Fuck off, really? <laughs> yeah. <sighs> it's in my car right now. And I, Dude, I, can, I can buy I would buy oh, that. There's no longitudinal transmission for it. I don't care. No, that's see, to put it in anything that I would ever put it in, it needs to be longitudinal. Like a 2ZZ in my uh, 2002 would be great. It'd be cool. But there's no longitudinal transmission. No, not enough torque. Uh, AW11. Mm, that would be SW20. Great. Yeah. ZZW30. Anything transverse would be fabulous. Yeah. A AE101 Corolla. <laughs> Weird. That's like it's the transmission donor for your Mondial Dilemma. Yeah, thing. exactly. <laughs> that's really the whole story. But yeah, it was. It sends me this link. I'm you like, should, okay, I'll play along. You, you, I click you on it. Send me that link as well. It's a rebuilt Toyota 2ZZGE long how much, engine. How much horsepower does that 2ZZGE make? Uh, 197. 197. Yep. Oof, that will fit a lot of cars. That like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like Again, that, if there was, I, I just was doing research. Ah, That's why I wasn't it, paying attention. Oh, you know what? No there's, longitudinal box. I was just thinking because I'm like, the, there's three cars that came to mind. I'm like, shit, those are all rear wheel drive. So I'm like, That's the thing. Corona, shit. Mm-hmm. Rear-wheel drive Celica, shit. Mark II Celica Supra, shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's... <laughs> the, the the list price on this engine is $3,755. I know. Those are, one of them must have price. been returned because it's in warehouse deals for $1,051.12. Buy it. Let's go find you... I'll find you something cool to put it into. It's in my cart, so I'll watch the price on it. If it dips below a grand, I'll just buy it for fun. Because I think um, uh, my first thought was a first generation to sell another car that brian has and has done a perfect restoration on but a first generation to sell would have to be front wheel drive though it, really? they are i know no the the one before that the one that was based off of the corolla i'm pretty sure that, that was a transverse engine yeah i'm sure it was front wheel drive and again or a 90s it, it, it would be great in any of those transverse toyotas but like i want to put it in a longitudinal bmw you know mm. this is this could all be a quasi mondial dilemma it <laughs> could be but, but I, the 2002 dilemma yeah but think about where this car has been where the, i mean where this engine's been installed yeah. well the it's Lotus been rebuilt Elise, yeah oh yeah Z. there's so many good cars yeah. I mean, the, the Vibe GT. GT, all these prestigious marks. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I, like, the, well, yeah, well, that's no, the, the laugh. The, <laughs> the, yeah. no, yep. the, the thing is that the 2ZZ is the most underappreciated good engine oh, totally. I can think of. It's like it's like an F20, but it doesn't get any notoriety. No, because it was only in, like, boring transverse. Stuff. Although, well, a Matrix XRS would be pretty cool. Or a, a Corolla XRS, mm-hmm. which looks like a totally normal 2003 Corolla, which yeah. is the most boring Corolla. Yes, and it has 200 horsepower and a six-speed manual. Yeah, and I, it's just a hilarious car. So good. Yeah. Oh, such a sleeper. I, uh, yeah. Back in the day when I was going out street racing, there was a guy who rebadged one as an LE and took all the... Oh, really? <laughs> It was really funny. Oh, man. Do it. <laughs> they didn't have like a very pronounced body kit on them. No, but if you knew ice. what you were looking for. Right. Like this guy, he had like mismatched, I think like mismatched Rotas on it or something. Oh, like it was just, it was a garbage looking car. It was definitely like That's a winter awesome. beater. Awesome. But he had, it probably had like a Celica ECU in it and stuff. Yeah. And and, red line. <laughs> but he, he like, he like rolled to beat like, it, like Integra GSRs, like gutted out and oh, stuff. Oh, dude. And like rev him with his fart can and then be like, all right, yeah, I'm going to embarrass this Corolla. And then go do a forty roll, and he would just li- <laughs> he would just pull his penis right out, just lay it on the table. <laughs> and like, he'd go it's, like, he'd go like, like two, oh. yeah, he would get like two or three car lengths on him, and it'd just be hilarious. <laughs> 
I mean, oh, that's probably better than having an overly exaggeratedly impressive looking car yeah, with not as much it's a power. Sleeper. Yeah, it's nothing better than that because it's yeah, like, so funny. Like under badging a car and <laughs> yeah, then going exactly. and humiliating people. That's kind of the exact opposite of what the companies like did in the 80s in Germany. Yeah, where they'd over It's just like we wouldn't, we wouldn't really do anything with the power, but we would put these like three foot wide wheels on the back <laughs> And side vents on a front engine car. Oh my um, god! Well, um, to, be, to be to be fair though, um, the, it wasn't the companies that did that. Th- those were aftermarkets. Well, and, I, I yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was like were, BBS and Koenig. Koenig and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Koenig, um, Bravis, yep. uh, Gimbala. Oh god! Um, oh, by the way, I, it, fuck off! I love the Gimbala Avalanche. It's one of my favorite uh, cars from the eighties. I'm trying to think of the other company that. Um, uh, you keep talking. No, there was that. What was a Porsche one? It started with an S. Yeah, um, I sent it to you. Uh, I sent you a link from that BAT for the. Schnitzer. Um, yeah, uh, AC Sch- no, not AC Schnitzer. No, um, it's BMW. Oh, never mind. Uh, the ME edi- even the Honda's got them. There was those. There were the ME I was thinking of Rin Speed. Rin Speed, yeah, yeah. Well, then there was also a company that did it for like Honda's called uh, ME Edition. Which made what a Japanese name? No, no, this is German. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, the word look up, on, look up on your on your computer the ME Edition CRX. It's a wide body CRX. It looks rad. Uh, by the way, no, uh, Koenig. Uh, actually, I was doing some research on him because I found a Porsche that was a wide bodied out. Oh, um, that, and that just that went is down super rabbit cool. hole. But yeah, isn't the ME Edition CRX hilarious looking? I think it's so cool. It looks like a mini Renault with spots. Yeah, it does. And imagine, because, you know, you can... so rad. Yeah. Oh, it's all smooth and stuff. It's super cool. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but anyway, so Koenig, you can still... I think Randy's get, dying. Yeah. Koenig, you can still buy the body kits. They're still around. Oh, no. Wow. Like, like, from Koenig? Yes. They Not make them. Not like Craigslist special. No, like takeouts. actually Koenig specials, K-O-E-N-I-G specials. I understand. It's, well, for our, our listeners, oh. that thing we're talking about, the like, garbage wheel company. Dot .net? Dot .net? Uh, I have their page pulled up, I think. No, it was a um, joke from okay. episode 23. Yes. <laughs> um, no, they're still around. Actually, that company Just like has, Callaway, they'll sell you a full aero body still. Brand that's new. true, yeah. yeah. But no, these are, uh, these are like, these companies have the best stories. You know, they have I'll, the best stories. I'll talk about Uwe Gambala in a minute. And how he went missing. Yeah. Um, but we'll, first we're going to talk about Koenig, because uh, Willie Koenig, the, the patron behind... Mm-hmm or the yeah the guy behind Koenig mm-hmm. um he made all of his money from book publishing I hate him already but I mean like that's a normal job like if you're looking to I make seven figures that's a pretty safe way to make seven figures um and I so books. what he did is he was he had gotten into racing so he started out with like, like horses no like Borgward Isabella's and like whatever cars from oh, Germany cars. yeah car okay. racing but then when he started making more money, he started going into, like, Ferraris and stuff. Mm. Anyway, he got a Ferrari 512 BB. Oh, yeah. And he was like, this isn't what I wanted. It's kind of, like, underwhelming because he got his ass kicked in a race. So he put on, like, a performance exhaust and wider wheels and stuff. And it kind of snowballed from there. And eventually he went on to – he sold his publishing business outright to okay. just make stupid wide body supercars. So he made like a wide body 560 SEC. And then he made, those. yeah, my, that's like my. The one of SEL favorite. is even stupider. Yeah. And then they have like the wide body, uh, oh, Sabaro. They made the SELs. Um, no, Safaro. That's what it was. Safaro made the, the wide body SEL. But um, no, he also made a wide body Testarossa, a car that definitely did not need to be wide bodied. 
Uh, and he also made a wide-body Countach, another car that... Well, defi- that car did not need more wide-body. No, but he definitely made it wider. And then he also made a Testarossa that made, like, 700 horsepower or something and had, like, an 800-horsepower F40. But anyway... Well, that's just turning up the wick a little bit. Yeah, but, I mean, like, he... Well, the, the Testarossa was... Oh, yeah, that, that is a massive that would be tough, jump. Yeah. But, um, like, the F40 is just like, yeah, let me just screw this bolt in a little bit. Yeah, exactly. But, no, he actually went... Like about it to actually like make these cars faster and made these as race cars, and I love the fact that the 560 SEC was designed to be a performance 560, and they Which put this stupid so wide body on to make it well because nobody ever bought the performance parts for it, the 560. It was just it was a bunch of like playboys in the 1980s that bought them, but they actually did have a version that was faster than the AMG. Okay, but anyway, so that's what they did, and they also had a manual one if I'm not mistaken. The um, AMG did five manuals. Yeah, well, I mean the. Um, no, Koenig offered a manual, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway. Um, no, that one I'm actually very confident on. You're, you're confident of that? All right. So I'm, the I'm, amount I'm, of endless, endless hours I've researched the 117 <laughs> in manuals. <laughs> I've found everything that there's ever been. Everything that's ever existed. So five they, I think I think, I think it might have been like an AMG one that ended up getting a body kit on they it. They made five. But anyway. Well, they get right 265. Um, so a lot of these companies did not turn out well. No way. I mean, uh, Koenig's still around. They're pretty good because their their products were actually really well made, and they were kind of they they started. Well, they followed the market a lot more after that. Yeah. Well, not only that, they started this whole wave. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Uwe Gambala from Gambala, which made that super awesome cocaine out like wide body Porsches, uh, got in trouble a lot. For no way sm- for uh, laundering money for Colombian drug Did cartels. Did he perchance yeah. live in South Africa? No, he didn't. He no. lived, he. I'll get to that what in a he second. Had... He actually lived in Germany. And he, uh, he, what he, what he would do is you, uh, drug cartels would buy cars from them. Okay. Um, send him the car or he would send the car to them. Yeah. They'd send him back the car with a car full of cash. Okay. Saying it needs a quote unquote repair. Oh. And the repair would be like a hundred thousand dollars or something. He would launder the hundred thousand dollars, keep a little bit of it, send back the car with most of the cash ba- left in it. Yeah. And so he was laundering money for drug cartels. Anyway, he got in trouble for that. Uh, somehow it ended up in South Africa. Uh, and I guess his, you know, crime-ridden past caught up to him. Because, yeah. you know, about 10 years ago, he was found dead. No, it was two or three years ago. No, it was like 2011, 2013 or something. So I guess it was oh, like five Lord. years ago. But anyway. All right. Yeah, but no, he was found dead in South Africa. Like, he got killed by his like, actual drug-running problem. So, yeah. Some, wow. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, 2011? 2010. 2010? Yeah, so it's about 10 years ago. But it's just, of course, that happened. Yeah. Like, for a car that looks like that, like a car known for being owned by drug dealers, there was merit to that. Weird. (laughs) Thought they were not dangerous folks at all. Kill surprise. No, these... uh, Kill surprise. I'm not going to take up the whole episode talking about wide-body 80s cars. I'll bring it back later and talk about the Sephiro Super 8 or something. Well, I want to talk about something 80s then if you're done. Yes, go for it. I want to talk about my BMW 850. That's a 90s car. Which I drove here. It was designed wholly in the 1980s. It shows. Yeah. I love that car. I know. It's great. I drove it. It's, it's wonderful. The battery's all charged up and stuff. Took it to a car <laughs> show this morning, but yeah, I drove it here. Um, and as I was looking to fill out this podcast with my own topics, um, I came across the finally unearthed photos of the production BMW 8 Series, the new one. Did you see the 8 Series uh, Le Mans car? I did not. It actually looks really cool. Well, it's hopefully the, we see that on the stream. Yeah, then. it's the M8 Le Mans. It looks great. 
that answers one of the parts of my questions. Are they going to do an M8? Yes. Okay. And it's a Monscar, and it looks fucking sick. And well, I, I do not want that good. M8 at all, but the Monscar looks I cool. I like the one M8 they made from the E31 generation, which had the McLaren F1 engine. It was a full carbon fiber <laughs> tub. Perfect. It was really excellent. It went to Pebble Beach for the 100-year anniversary, and I was pissed that I missed it. But anyway, I pulled up this thing. I looked it over, and I read through an article. Unfortunately, it was titled, The New BMW 8 Series Unveiled, a car that promises to be the car the old E31 never could be. So I had to click on it. That sounds clickbaity. It was, and I clicked on it, and I'm just like, I, they go on to say, like, it's it's pledging to be this uh, this new tot handling sports car. I'm like, that well, no shit the E31 that. didn't live up to that because it wasn't designed, engineered, was or sold as that. It was a GT, personal luxury coupe. Yeah, it was designed to shit on Aston Martins. fabulous, huh. exactly. And it was way better than the Astons of the day, and still some current ones. But anyway, I, I'm curious... You already answered that they're going to do the M8, but like I think this just looks like a six series with slightly deeper scallops. That's it looks like a six series facelift. That's kind of how I feel. Well, my thing is the thing that made the E31 what it was. Yeah, cocaine. No, full of headlights. Oh, well, that, that's <laughs> secondary. No, I, I I think that was a, the headlights flip up so you can do lines of coke off of. Yeah, them. but I I think the flip up headlights right? really that was the main design feature of that car. If you don't have flip up headlights on that car. It's it's like trying to make a Countach without flip-up headlights. Yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And that's exactly what made that car what it is. If it wasn't for flip-up headlights, it was just a big-ass 6 Series. You know what? Uh, the one thing about the, H- about the e- E31 8 Series is the fact that it was designed to be a very special car. And I usually talk about special cars, meaning that these are in a level for which only a few people should get them. Only a few people should own them, mm-hmm. and I am pretty ju- special. Yeah, you are. But anyway, what I'm talking about back one. when it was due was it was positioned at a much higher level. So we're talking about maybe close to Bentley, close to yeah, SL. The like sticker Astons on my car in 1991 was $127,000. By comparison, exactly. Randy, by comparison, in 1991, a Lamborghini Countach was $100,000. Exactly. So. This was my car cost a, more than a Countach. Yes, it did. <laughs> yes, it um, was. That was, so, that was a bad move. Whoever bought my car. So <laughs> the thing is, is that this is a car that if they're going to sell the eight series today, that has to be on par with an Aventador. Yeah. For and it won't price be. and for luxury materials. Actually, closer to a Wraith, to a Rolls Royce Wraith. Well, no, I mean, price I'm saying, I'm saying, as far as yeah. well, I mean, if they're trying to keep up with what they were doing before, right. like. But it That's, sounds like they're going yeah. a completely different direction with it. However, they're trying to make it a sports car. I don't want it to be a sports car. I don't either. It's not what the 8 Series should be. No, however, though, I will argue that it's. I think it, they're designing it as a GT because I'm looking at this and I'm looking at what's what's going to be up against. It's going to be up against Lexus LC. It's going to be up against uh, Maserati Gran Turismo. Yeah, personal luxury coupe. Exactly. Yeah. Well, more like a Gran cars. Turismo yeah, but, I versus mean, anything. Yeah. To, be, to be fair, I mean... A lot of these cars today that are personal sports coupes or luxury vehicles. PLCs. PLCs. They really do kind of handling that's on par with 80 sports cars. Oh, they do. sports car yeah. handling was nothing to write Truth home about. Truth be told, about. the 850 handles really well. Yeah. It does. Like, it's not a problem, but, like, it's not a sports car. It's no. a very heavy vehicle designed to eat miles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and that, it's, That's why I think it's more like a Continental GT than it is a 
you know, anything like that. Yeah, so, it, well, in the Continental GT, I, I think that's a car that's been around for a really, 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 almost 20 years. Yeah, I think the yep. first um, one was made, it was etched out of granite. To, yeah, it's, they've been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a car that you really, it's in a class of its own. Like, right now it's a benchmark yeah. for, you know, GT cars. Mm-hmm. Well, and I feel like that, that that's, that's a benchmark that can easily be taken down a peg. Yeah, I think if BMW plays their cards right, they could easily take that down a peg and make they're willing to make the de facto, yeah. uh, you know, GT car. But I think like Randy was saying, I mean, if it's priced near a Wraith, I mean, it's got to be. No, be it won't really be actually. Nice. Um, I, I know it won't be because I've seen the pictures of the car. No, it's, and it's clearly based on a six series. Well, yeah. it's clearly going to be, and I keep hearing uh, British prices, but I'm assuming we're talking maybe. Uh, the uh, if there's an M8, it will probably be topping around 150, 200. That's uh, it. Yeah, that's it. So, but when you but this is an eight. Let me so, guess. It's gonna have a 4.4 liter twin turbo V8. Well, as I'm looking at the press uh, page for this, um, the first car that's coming to America is the M850i X Drive with 523 horsepower. Definitely that engine. So it's definitely an eight. So. Yeah. Uh, the only thing is, Wake would me be... when it's the 6.75 liter Rolls V12. That's the thing. No, is, no, that, they're not the, putting that thing in there. Well, that, that's the thing. It, this car, to keep up with what it is, it has to have a V12. The eight, the eight cylinder is not going to cut it nope. because it's kind of it's kind of like it's kind of like what we were talking about the last episode where people like play off of numbers and that's yeah. why oh, a lot of people make mistakes on the BRZ. Yep. Uh, you buy the highest number BMW. You want the highest numbers with your BMW. Exactly. You buy and you buy the eight series because it's it's higher than a seven. Right. You buy the eight series because it's got the twelve instead of the eight. Right. If That's you why can't I look afford, down upon people with the eight forties. If you, as I say, if you have an eight, if you buy an eight series base model with an eight cylinder, mm-hmm. you buy that because you want to look like you got twelve cylinder, but really you're just a plebeian. Yep. Your mid-level manager take the badge off. Yeah, exactly. And you're absolutely right. The M the the eight Excuse me, the M850i X-Drive. That's a lot of, you know. Whatever. No, it rolls right off the tongue. It and rolls it's X-Drive. Yeah. That's yep. another issue. Which means it's not sporty. Exactly. So it's latest generation of 4.4 liter, eight-cylinder twin the... turbos. Yep. So, yeah. So it'll last 60,000 miles, and you got to replace it. Cool. Sounds good. Yep. That's... So there you go. Doesn't oh. sound that great. All right, I depressed myself talking about that. I'm going to enjoy my drive home with my real eight series. Yeah, if you, yeah, there we go. I think it's be our bombshell at the end of the episode. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about something completely different. You know, actually, way. I welcome whatever you're going to talk about right now because now I'm sad yeah. about the eight series. Uh, this one's actually a really cool story that I found actually on Jalopnik. Um, or not Jalopnik, off of uh, Bring Trailer originally, then Japanese Nostalgia Car picked it up. That is way uh, different than Jalopnik. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, uh, Jalopnik did do an article on it, um, I think after the Japanese Nostalgia Car one came out, as per oh, weird. usual. I was going to say, um, that seems like a pattern with them. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, so there is a uh, extremely rare pre-war 1936-1940, uh, somewhere in that ballpark, Datsun Type 17, did not have a title. Um <laughs> <laughs> but that was available that was being sold in the United States. It was likely the last one left of its type. There were a couple other variants of it that were for sale in like Japan, but none of them exist in the United States. Uh this is based off of the uh Austin 7, which is like the English version of yep. Model T. Uh, however, 
uh, because Japanese nostalgia car is ever dil- diligent, Ben did some, I think it was Ben, is your Ben or uh, Dan, his brother, um, that did a lot of research on this. Dan's they, a photographer or Ben is? No, but, well, they both are. Dan oh. is Ben's brother. Dan Sue, Ben well, Sue. I knew that. But um, I didn't know who we were typically seeing photos from and who we were seeing. Oh, they, they both from. take photos just as much. Um, Ben's the one that does, he's a showrunner, though. It's actually not a pre-war car, so I'm going to take that bell off. So let me just go ahead and... There we go. The damage is done. Um, But it didn't. Uh, (laughs) Here, use the chime. It's actually... Yeah, there you go. Our our (laughs) anti-pre-war. Is that our post-war chime? Our our (laughs) post-war chime. Yeah, we're just going to ring it constantly. (laughs) This car actually um, is even more rare because... Right after World War II, they had an extremely rare continuation version where they slightly changed the cars, like ever so slightly, did some different body styles, like Utes and stuff. But um, like the Holden Malou, kind of yeah. This one is uh, the rarest double cab, which is basically a tiny pickup bed with a four seater interior, which is actually also a Ute. Um, it is likely not only the only one in America, it is most definitely the only one left in existence. Because, like, the early 60s and late 50s Nissan, like, other trucks don't even exist. Like, the Nissan DB6, there's three left in the world. You, you okay there, Burger? <laughs> Um, <laughs> Are you sure the DB6 isn't like a lost Aston Martin or something? No, it, it, it sounds like that. When you type it in, you get mostly pictures of Aston Martins. You have to actually go on Japanese and Sasha <laughs> to get a picture so of it. So what you're saying is you have to turn safe search off. Basically, yeah. It's The DB6 actually, I think, might be one of the best-looking Nissans made prior to the Z car. Okay. It's a really pretty streamlined delivery truck. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so whoever buys this 1954 Datsun 6741 double cab is actually getting it the rarest piece of Japanese automotive history. But it's cool how they figured it out was um, we did research based off of the license plate. The license plate uh, did not make sense for what the car would have been if it was pre-war. Because in Japan, when you get a license plate, it's for the life life of the vehicle. um, Um, So this is definitely a 19... Yeah. Like Brexit. Yeah. It's a 1950s license plate. So that could not have been pre-war. They did some more research into it. They go into more depth on the article. But they actually found out that it was a post-war car. So Good. Yeah. Props to Japanese nostalgia car for being the only publication to make that happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I thought it was actually really, really, really cool. Um, what You are making a face. Jana just sent me a text message. Yes. They have a new style of Super Jumbo Pusheen. That's fantastic. She says Motor Cult needs one now, too. Yes, I think we do. Speaking of Pusheens, um, I'm looking <laughs> that, that at this That is an excellent segue. Car. Thank you, Randy. <clears throat> it looks like this is epic, all right? Because the fact is, is that, again, you're talking about the history of this vehicle and how it was reconstituted after war, which, of course, yeah. you know, considering that the Japanese automotive industry was bombed to bits. We are considering the following. Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, sorry. <laughs> you're yeah. away from the mic. <laughs> I was away from the mic because I'm looking at the uh, thing at the same time here. But 
I'm just looking at this. This is epic. And and the story behind it about the guy bringing it back to, now it's in Northern Virginia. Yeah. So again, whoever buys this vehicle, not only is looking at history in, in the face, but he's looking at something that is a conversation piece that should continue on because you can't just look at this, buy it and forget it. Yeah. You have to tell the story over and over again about why this vehicle matters and why it mattered at that time, 1954, with a country that's rebuilding. Yeah, I would say that this is honestly probably, you know, this would be a big jump. This is the single most important Japanese vehicle prior to the 240Z. I'm going to take your word for it because I have no fucking clue. Well, because you're also when I say that, I'm also writing off the Cosmo, the 2000 GT, a lot of really important cars. Cars I like, even yeah. Bluebirds. Yeah, Bluebirds. Okay, this one is very, very, very important because this is the last surviving piece of an era of Japanese history that nobody knows about. Like there, there yeah, is, there is more, there is more information available to the public. Yeah, about pre-war. Bugattis and Citroën and mm-hmm. Austin and like what Ferdinand Porsche was doing. Porsche. Porsche was doing before World War II. Yeah. Then there is of this car. I wrote up, I got an article. It's still brewing well, in JNC. That's, that's a period in time where like most, if not all modern manufacturers, we can either like point it back to, they were doing nothing or they were doing like airplanes. Yeah. And exactly. Uh, well, and then also there is the early fifties for imported cars is very interesting because Stuff like this yeah. set the stage for everything that happened after that. Okay. And that's what's so important about this car. Sure. Is everything that happened between really about 1946 and I'd say 1962, the 1950s in Japan, yeah. was a really, really huge uh, change for the Japanese automotive landscape. Because you were having things like this, which were really just pre-war Austins being made. Mm-hmm. Um. And when I say Austin, I mean Austin 7, not Austin Healy or anything. It's a different car right. company. Right. Um, pre-war well, Dotson's basically kind of being made. the precursor of the uh, Caterham and stuff, too. Yeah, right? exactly. But the thing is, within three years of this car being made, yeah. uh, Prince, which Nissan would go on to buy, they were making the Skylines. Didn't he die two years ago? N- yes. Uh, <laughs> no, this is a car company that was called Prince after Prince Akihito bought one. Um God. <laughs> Japanese culture is so I different. I know, right? <laughs> but no, like this is the same company really that would go on to produce the Skylines that we know mm-hmm. 10 years later. All right. And the company that was designing the Skyline was already designing the Skyline at the time that this car was made. So this is such a weird landscape that you were having a car really from 1936 being made at the same time as a car from 1957. Mm-hmm. And that's just a massive weird thing that does not happen anywhere else in the world except for in 1950s Japan. Right. I think mm-hmm. that that's just the coolest thing on earth. Yeah. And do keep in mind what happened afterwards is that effect. I mean, we did get a lot of the late 50s stuff. I mean, finally when Toyota created in 58 yeah, the- and then of course Nissan came in and eventually Honda, well, Honda motorcycles, but it was fact, Toyota, is- Honda, Nissan. Yeah. Yeah. In that order. Pretty much. Um, Subaru. Well, 69. Thank you, Malcolm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but but again, it's like you see that jump from that pickup 
to what was being brought over in 58, 59 in, in Two LA. Two years, yeah. Like, you see that next to a, a, Toyo, a Toyo Pet crown? Yes. Like, they're right next to each other. <laughs> but, that, I mean, yeah. I mean, if, that, you, if you were walking... The, the amount of acceleration and technology and just change in that short amount of time, yeah. I don't know if that's ever been rivaled. I've never anyone. seen anything like that, and that's I think that's just... I mean, I know they made right. the 8 Series and the E30 at the same time for a little while. That's it's kind of it's kind of the same. Like if, mm-hmm. but the thing is, if the e, if the E30 was just the base model 318, right? And it wasn't. It was like yeah. the high option convertibles and with even, the early eight series. Even that's like right. still a right. big jump because this is like it is like I, I don't I don't. I don't oh, it's a car designed in '83 with alongside the first CAN bus yeah. drive by wire car. I can I can say that I'm fairly confident this truck only has rear brakes. Because I'm pretty sure the Austin 7 you don't had need the front ones. Look at go-karts. Yeah, it's true. But uh, <laughs> at, at the same time, Nissan had like a Jajaro, or Prince had a Jajaro designed um, God, like sport coupe, and Toyota had a 1.9 liter four-cylinder that made like 80 horsepower, which is it's pretty good. In 1957, I mean, five years prior to that, that's what Ford was getting out of their V8s, so... That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which, incidentally, I'm looking for one of those. Yes. Uh, also, if anybody wants, if anybody can source, if anyone us, has an EAB yeah. flathead from a Ford, a you Ford do let flathead, me know. Yes. Burger needs one for, for a, a project. Yeah. Something. It is a secret project that will make the coolest car of all. Time. It's basically designed to trigger a bunch of people all at once. Yes, it will. It will be great. Um, <laughs> I can hardly wait. It's gonna all be right. good. So. Um, do you want to move on to interesting engineering, or yeah, do you let's. have something like that? All right, so interesting engineering. We're gonna we're gonna stick with weird old technology here. Yes. Um, I want. We mentioned la- last episode yep. straight eights and V sixteens. Yeah. Um, I want to kind of talk about the straight eight and well, let's, what yeah. was cool about that. And why I don't know don't if the V sixteen and the straight eight came first, but I mean they've been around for the a straight long eight came time. first. The V sixteen was uh came right around the same time. Okay. So Derek. Um. Yeah. Because the straight eight, what it was, was it was, it was you know, straight four, straight six, and yep. it just made sense to add two more on the end exactly. of it. Exactly. Uh, and the straight eights were around before the V8s. They made more sense, and that's why they were around first. Yep. Because the straight eight, you add all the torque of uh, straight six, but then you just had two more cylinders, so you had mm-hmm. even more of it. Uh, going again on the episode 23 topic, more is better. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, is that they were very popular prior to World War II. Yeah. Uh, uh, they were very pro- very popular prior to World War II, and they were actually around for a little bit after World War II. Um, the issue was, uh, Packard really was, they were the... I was uh, going to talk about the Buick. And Yeah, Buick as well. Agreed. Buick made the straight eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, the issue was with them, they were so long, and yeah. the, crank, the crankshafts were so long, the technology just was not there to make them reliable, and the crankshafts would separate in the center. Yep. Um, also, the vibrations were crazy on them because it was basically Which is two four cylinders put together right um that's true they didn't they the didn't harmonics weren't good. They, they didn't they didn't have the harmonic balance and this, they were, they were that, odd fire too yeah they, weren't, they were they weren't flat plane no they, they were yeah. very, they were really rough and there's, there's a reason the camshafts always broke on them but um super cool they, they weren't self-balancing like a straight six or a straight five six or a straight five yeah um but yeah the straight eights would uh, I think today would actually be a really cool engine. I agree. Because we have harmonic balancers. We have the ability to we make... balance a, shafts. We, we yeah, forged well, cranks. Yeah, harmonic balancer. That's what I mean, a balance shaft. They're very different things. Well, you know what I mean. Same concept, though. Takes care of that vibration. You also have the... Um, All right. 
yeah, you all you also have much much better manufacturing technology. You no way. Have, yeah, I know. You don't <laughs> one have, piece engine blocks. <laughs> you don't have. <laughs> you, you don't have. Actually, those are great designs. Um, yeah. But you don't have roller bearing cranks. Uh, most importantly, that's what I'm thinking of. You have. You know. You have higher quality internals. <laughs> so it's not like a two-stroke jet ski engine. No. It's okay. No. Um, Interesting. And, uh, yeah, they're they're Interesting. they're really cool that you can actually make them feasibly today. <laughs> Somebody really should. Yeah, I, I mean Mercedes is bringing back the inline six. Why not? Just they just need two more do cylinders. One better. You know, if BMW made the eight series with a straight eight. Oh yes. I'd pay. Oh yes. I would more. I get a mortgage. Subprime. Yeah. Oh, I get a subprime <laughs> loan for sure. Yeah, I'll take a 120 month loan on this BMW. What, what house are you buying? <laughs> Number eight. Number eight. 850? Eight, 850 <laughs> eight BMW Road? Yeah, exactly. Um, Brooklyn Park? But yeah, so uh, the V16 <laughs> also came out around the same time. That was yeah. two um, straight eights put together, basically. So not at all exacerbating the crankshaft, exacerbating <laughs> the crankshaft issues of the straight eight. Uh, you know, surprisingly, they were decently reliable. At least the Cadillac ones were. Interesting. Yeah, the Caddy ones and the Suzetta ones are the only two I'm aware of. Uh, there was a very good one that came in a really cool fighter plane and the P51 Mustang, the Allison V16, which are capable. I meant road going ones. Well, I mean, those were put into a lot of hot rods in the 50s, which is even more hilarious when you think about a. Uh, I, I bet the fuel economy was really good. They were fuel injected. Great. That's cool. Hopefully, it wasn't CIS. Uh, it was. Yeah, no. That's, it, no, no. It, 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 it did not exist back then. It, it would have been a it's mechanical. mechanical it was a mechanical, sure. yeah. Yeah. But I mean, anyway, like they, the 56 Gullwing 300 SL was mechanical and fuel injection. It wasn't. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's it true. It was more similar it was to not Hillborn. CS, no. yeah. It was Yeah, it was basically that. But they, uh, if you wanted a super fast T-bucket, like you put a V16 into it. Can you imagine that 1700 pound 35 liter engine i think it made over a thousand horsepower um, like i'm pretty sure the two by four frame rails and a model t yeah i'm pretty sure they, oh, they i'm i'm That's sure they make over a small thousand block horsepower Chevy. With oh dude yeah yeah so i mean brains exploding right now because yeah, yeah i mean i i can't imagine it either but i'll tell you what though you're absolutely right about you know the about the design we could modern in modern time yeah we could do this now. The thing is, is that we must plane. be very clear for anyone who's listening that you need to separate what we're talking about with the true V6 versus that W16 and the Bugatti. V6, V16, not, not v- V6. Yes, yes, that's true. We should yeah, talk about There Bugatti. are other 16-cylinder yes. engines. The W16 is totally different because that's two W8s. Which um, were very reliable. No, they weren't. I know. <laughs> Put together. Uh, into into a single engine with a bunch of turbos and air coolers and stuff put on them, uh, and they basically are kind of like if you were to crush a car and put it into a square. Yeah, that's kind of what they look like. They're disgusting. Yeah, I engines. saw one out of the car with like no heads on. It. I'm like, this thing is like a yeah rectangular blade. It's, just, it's gross looking. It's almost a radial it's like engine. Fifty inches wide and like ten inches deep. Now, if if they <laughs> if they took taken another one and put it on the bottom, made it thirty two. Uh, W32 or something. Well, no, because that'd be a, that'd be a radial, but at that point, and that'd be really cool. <laughs> I want to I want to bring up some here about uh, the, you know when we talk about straight eights and uh, V16s. I want to focus on Cadillac V16. If I remember at the time, you know, I'm not that old, but um, they came out. They were starting to come out, you know, when 
the Roaring Twenties. Yes. Yeah. You can yeah. get away with anything. You could. And then all of a Thank sudden, you, stock market stock market crash, oh, and you no. still made the V16, yeah. which at by 1932 really didn't make sense, but Cadillac still made them. Right. Because, well, because it's Cadillac. And I, exactly. I think that's, that's a precursor. The best. That, that, that's a precursor to Cadillac and the Moyes. But anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's really, but honestly, when you think about it at the time when they extended the V16, they weren't going to cancel it. But it really didn't make any sense, especially when the economy is falling. But then... It's it's sort of a, it falls back to something I keep hearing about certain products is like why do you do a car like, for example, the Hyundai Veloster, for example? Yeah. Because we can. Yes, why, it's true. That's a that's a, an answer I keep hearing from the uh, industry, and it's and I'm okay with that. For years. I'm okay with a with a because we can because that makes yeah. some of the most beautiful pieces of engineering you've ever yep. seen in your life. Exactly. Yeah, pretty much the only modern stuff I like is a because we can answer. Yeah, and well, I mean, it's historically that's what I like. Is, mm-hmm. you know, because because we can, that's why we made the amazing Duesenbergs I love so much. Mm-hmm. And then because because we can, gave us like all the cool sports cars from the 1950s, and you know the uh, the. Uh, no, the fifties were all because because fuck you were American. No, no, I'm talking <laughs> I'm talking about like around the world, oh, like okay. uh, the dual red cam Porsches from the fifties. Yep. was it because we can? That was an interesting thing to look at a couple yeah. weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's so many off. bevel gears. That, yeah, that was that was really cool. But that's the because we can attitude makes some of the most beautiful pieces of engineering. I'm basically ever seen. Rosie the Riveter. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. You can. Um, but uh, <laughs> that was during the war. That was that was during the war. So that was kind it, of d- it deserves a ding. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, give I'll give during World War II a, a I'm ding. I'm still gonna anti-war chime it. All right. Okay. Um, anyway, so I guess we should talk about one last V16. Yeah. Which is my favorite post-war V16. I'm, is this in like a cheese wedge car? Yes. Did I mention it just very briefly earlier? Yes. Okay. And I, I popped it a little bit of a chub. Um, <laughs> Thank goodness. Oh, okay, that is actually on the camera. There we go. <laughs> but no, it's the Suzetta Marauder V16T, which most of our viewers who are not 1980s Italian car nerds would, well, I guess, I 90s, think they all are. Um, would know it from uh, Gran Turismo 4 before they had Ferrari that was closing to a Ferrari that you could get. And it was awesome because it was basically two Lamborghini V8s welded together. That uh, I think they, I can't remember. I, I think they actually shared a crankshaft. They had a custom-made crankshaft. Probably. Otherwise, they had two separate cranks, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> which would be actually even better because <laughs> that means just two tying belts, which are probably impossible to deal with. Oh, my God. Imagine trying to find timing equipment for a 3.5, like, Urocco V8 these Because days. that's what it is. It's two 3.5 Urocco V8s. With, and if I remember correctly, I think they're turbo. Uh, <laughs> to make it even better. I think you might but, be right. Uh, that car is really cool because <laughs> um, it was uh, designed by this guy named Cezetta. And I can't remember his first name. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, it was funded by Giorgio Moroder, okay. who was a, uh, early, a great name. It, he was an early house mm-hmm. music DJ who oh, made a ton yeah. of money and decided to make a car. It was great. I, I love it. I went on a... Like early '90s house music YouTube tangent the other day. Yeah, it was really great. Yeah, Giorgio Moroder is great. Well, it goes um, back to disco, by the way. Oh, yeah, it does. Ex- yeah, it does yep. go way back to disco. If you um, if have you ever listened to um, Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie, that conspiracy hey. theory program? That's you know 
where basically every conspiracy theory about contrails and everything comes from. Mm-hmm. Anyway, their theme song is uh, The Race, or sorry, The Chase by Giorgio Moroder. Nice. The Race is a song by Yellow, which is almost as good. Also, have you seen the, the music video for Oh Yeah? Yeah. That's oh, a it's great, great music video. Bump, bump. Oh, yeah. All right, so we are going to uh, end on that bombshell. <laughs> end on the, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're going to end on that. Thank you for uh, listening. Uh, Randy, thank you for being on for two whole episodes yeah. and wasting your entire afternoon with us. No, I, it's my, hey, guys, it's my pleasure. It's a great honor to be a part of this, so thank you. Cool. Right. Well, we had. To, I'm glad you took up Tucker's slack. So. Yes, he did. Yeah. <laughs> It's so. a lot of slack. It is. It, <laughs> is. it is one metric Tucker's worth of slack. One metric Tucker, which is currently around 425 pounds, I think. I don't think it's that uh, much. I think it's like 390 ouch. or something. No, it's, it's a large amount. It's a, it's a, well, either way, it's, it's a huge a, amount. It's, it's so. close to a quarter ton. And uh, Le Mans is still going on. So. Yes, it is. It will be going on for another probably 36 hours. All right. Well, cool. Uh, thank you very much. See you guys next week. Bye-bye. Of course. See ya.